Hi, my name is Gary Weber, and I'm the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know many of you listen on a regular basis, or maybe some of you are just joining us for the first time as churches move to online, but we want to give all of you an opportunity to support the ministry here at Southside Baptist Church, whether that's in our physical campus or right here through the virtual campus in the ministry of the podcast and the online services. You can contribute by going to ssbc.org and clicking the Give tab. There you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift, and anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Hey, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's message. Hey, so if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open up to the book of Daniel. If you can go ahead and begin to find the book of Daniel, we are continuing a series that we have called What's in a Name? And this series is actually about our identity in Christ. Who are we in Christ? You know, that can kind of be summarized as the story of the entire Bible. Because if you go back to the very beginning, God created humans in his image. He did that on purpose, and then he said the very first command he gave was for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, basically to fill the earth with his image. Because as people, as men and women bear the image of God, and as the earth is filled with them, then the image of God is being magnified all over the planet. But sin entered the picture, and the image of God inside of us was scarred. It was distorted. And so God took on flesh and came into earth, came into time and space himself. We know him as Jesus. And he demonstrated for us what it means to be the perfect reflection of God, to be the perfect reflection of the Heavenly Father. And he lived and he taught. He did miracles. He did all kinds of things. And he called us to follow him. To follow Jesus means to become like Jesus, to be like him in all we do. So, but the problem is my old identity, my broken identity, the identity that the world is trying to put on me keeps coming back. I don't know about you, but I do pretty good for a little while, maybe 15 minutes and then minute 16, I'm not doing so good, right? And so we can, it's a continual effort for us to try to strive to be like Jesus so that the image of God, so that our identity is reflecting the identity of our creator, of our heavenly father. And so what we've been talking about the last few weeks is this whole idea that we were created to find our identity in Jesus. And if we're going to be, if we're going to have our identity in Jesus, that means that we're not really concerned about our reputation as we're concerned about his reputation. That in fact, if you are somebody who is consumed with your own reputation, you're consumed with what people think about you, what they say about you, you're consumed about how you look, how you sound, then I would challenge you to become more more engaged in the identity of Jesus reflected through you and less concerned about your personal identity. That it is only when we begin to reflect the identity of Jesus that we can lay aside our own reputation because we're so consumed with him, his. And so then we said that really in order to do that, we have to understand and follow the main commandment Jesus gave us which was to love each other. He said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. This is how people will know that you follow me if you love each other the way I have loved you. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets can be summarized in this. Love God and love people. Not the way the world says or defines love, but the way I define love. And how did Jesus define love? He defined love by dying on the cross. It was not something that felt good. It was something that was good. It was a choice that he made. And so our decision to love sacrificially, to love at our own cost, is a reflection of who God is. That's the identity of Christ that we are trying to reflect. And then last week, we started looking at a series of names 
name changes in the Bible. Um, there are several times in the Bible where people's names are changed. We started last week by looking at a man named Simon, who was one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus changed his name from Simon to Rocky, or Peter. That's the Greek word, but really, if you translate it into English, his name was Rocky. He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, it wasn't that Jesus was going to build his, rock on, his church on Peter. It was that he was going to build his church on the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, if we are going to have our identity in Christ, there are two things we have to know. One is that love has to define and animate everything we do. And two, we have to build on the foundation of who is Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So today, what I want to talk about as we continue in our series is what happens when the world, when the pressures and forces of culture in the world try to define who you are. When the currents of culture become so strong that we lose who we are in Christ and we lose what we actually believe. Because as followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to respond to a culture that says one thing and the teachings of Jesus say something different? What are we supposed to do when we find ourselves in this place where our identity is being questioned? Our identity is being questioned because we have chosen to do the hard thing in loving like Jesus loves. In forgiving when it seems unreasonable to forgive. In being generous when it seems ridiculous to be, to be generous. Because the pressures of culture, the pr pressures of society are constantly trying to pull us away from our identity in Christ and back to a reflection of the rest of the broken world that we live in. And if we're not careful, we can allow the world to steal our identity. And the truth is, this has happened to Christians and to people in the church for centuries. This has gone on for a very very long times. Times when the church has allowed culture to define it. One example of that, go back to the Crusades. When political forces and religious forces merged together, which by the way, that was exactly what merged together to crucify Jesus. Religion and politics merged together and Jesus ended up dying on the cross. Now that was part of God's plan because he was going to redeem us Redeem us from the world, redeem us from sin, but also redeem us from religion and politics, amen? He's trying to pull us out of that to a kingdom way of living. And so, so you've got in the crusade time, you've got politics and religion colluding together, and you've got things like the crusades. You've got things like the Salem witch trials. You've got things like slavery. When people who read the same Bible that we read read into it what wasn't there as an endorsement to put people into slavery. You've got examples of when the church has lost its identity, when it was for segregation and it was against civil rights. You've got examples of when the church lost its identity in, in current times, during uh, times where the culture is trying to promote moral relativism, that there is no definite truth. Everything is just as you define it, as you choose to define it, in your truth and her truth and his truth. But there is a truth that is beyond our individual truths. There is the absolute truth of Jesus. And we live in a culture that's constantly pulling us. It's pulling us. It's pulling us further away from our identity in Christ. Our original identity as being created in the image of God, it's being pulled away. Now, this problem is not new for God's people. It goes back to the Crusades, yes, but it even goes further than that. It goes all the way into the Old Testament. In fact, the, the book of Daniel is a great example of this problem. This problem has always existed. In fact, it goes back to to the serpent himself in the garden that, that challenged Eve's identity. Did God really say, did God really say that you should not eat of the fruit of the tree? And, and see, from that moment on, we have been subject 
to questioning our identity and allowing the world to define us instead of letting our creator define us. Now let me set Daniel up for you. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today and I hope that when we get done with this you're going to see a bigger picture through the course of our conversation. Uh, But uh, let me set it up. Babylon was the world power in the 6th century. It was was a super, the only world superpower. In fact, I think we have a little map of it. If you see today, that's uh, Egypt down there towards the bottom left. All that green area would have been Babylon. They were the strongest military, strongest uh, government that the world had known to the time, and they conquered the nation of Israel, which is right there where you see the, um, the arrows actually pointing to the Babylonian Empire, but that where it's exactly pointing is right around the city, right south of that would have been Israel. The Babylonians came in and defeated uh, the nation of Israel, God's people. And now their strategy when they conquered another country was pretty simple. They didn't go in like empires before them and just kill everybody. They, they had a more sophisticated way to take over. They would go in and they would try to subjugate the entire population by assimilating them into their culture. So whatever culture was there, they would come in and try to just overwhelm them with their language, their philosophy, their religion, their beliefs, their currency, their political systems, and they would just come in and put that in them. In fact, people from the professional classes would be deported out of the country and taken back to Babylon. And so there would be artists and and politicians, scholars, government officials, military leaders, all of the people who basically had any power, intellectual power, military power, uh, philosophical gifted people were all taken out of Israel and taken back to the country, uh, to the capital in Babylon. And so they deported the, deported the professionals to ensure that they would grow up immersed in Babylonian culture. And after one or two generations, they would be fully assimilated into the Babylonian culture, adopt its values and beliefs while losing their own distinct cultural beliefs and values. You still see this happening in America today, the great melting pot, right? That's what, you know, the nation's been on. You look back over time of immigrants coming in from other countries, they didn't know English, and over time, many of you in this room are, I would guess almost everybody in this room, probably without exception, are somehow descended from immigrants. And the cultures that those people leave as they came to America, they would slowly be assimilated into our culture. Same thing, only it was a strategy by the Babylonians to ultimately not just conquer militarily, but to destroy all of the competing cultures around them. Now, to do this, to make this happen, the Babylonian Empire became very pluralistic, meaning that they just were sort of like America today, kind of a melting pot of all different kinds of cultures and religions and beliefs. And as they did that, they would allow the people that they conquered to continue to practice their own religious, religions and to express their own views if they did that in private. As long as they kept those opinions to themselves, it was okay. But public expressions of faith were not allowed. You could not project your faith or your beliefs or your political beliefs publicly if they were different than the Babylonian empires, but you could hold them privately. Now, this was a problem for the Jews because, see, most of the people who the, who the Babylonians had conquered were polytheistic, meaning that they worshiped many gods. So they, they might have 10, 20, 30, 1,000 gods that they worshiped. So when they were taken over by the Babylonians, it was no big deal for them just to start worshiping another 10, 20, 30, 40,000 gods. I mean, you know, the more the the better, right? Just make sure you cover all your bases. I got my lucky rabbit's foot. I got my star of David. I got my crucifix. You know, I got everything just to make sure my bases are covered. But Israel was different. Israel was monotheistic, meaning that they believed and worshiped only one God. In fact, that was sort of their whole big deal. It was, it was 
it was different from the rest of the world. Their, their core belief was this. They, they would say this every day. A good Jew would say this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that sound familiar? This idea that you shall have no other God before me, that was big for them. So when the Jews were being assimilated into the Babylonian culture, they were faced with a problem. They either had to stand up for what they believed. They either, had to, they either had to risk their lives and their families' lives, or they just had to give it up and go along to get along, right? What are they going to do? Are they going to stand up for their identity and who God created them and called them to be, or are they just going to go along with the culture? The book of Daniel tells all these stories, tells the stories about four young men who were faced with this challenge. Uh, and, and in these stories, we're going to look at three specifically. We're going to see things that I think help us today. Especially, listen, if you're in high school, you're in college, you're in middle school, you are on the front edge of constant cultural change. And it's really important, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that you tune in and listen. Because I think this passage, these examples from the book of Daniel, tell us some important things. It tells us how to affect change when we can, how to stand up when we have to, and how to trust God through everything. So let's look at each of these and the story that goes with it. First of all, we have to effect change wherever we can. Now, these four young men uh, were car carried off from Israel, from their homeland, into captivity into Babylon. And listen to this story from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then the king commanded his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So in other words, the king Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, go and take everybody, who, everybody from there who has got potential. I want the good-looking, I want the smart, I want the athletic, I want the talented, I want those people brought back. And so that's exactly what they did. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that, came, that the king himself ate, meaning that these kids, basically some would say they won the lottery because they were going to get fed the very best food that the Babylonian empire had to offer and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king, meaning that after three years, they would go before the king, and the king would decide if he had a place for them in his government or not. Now, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Now, listen to this, because this is really important. Because throughout this series, what we've been looking at is how God changes our identity from one that we were inherited, that we were given by our parents, that we took on ourselves, and he comes and he changes our identity. We looked last week at Jesus changing Simon's name to Peter. We're going to look next week at how God took Jacob's name and changed it to Israel. We're going to look at a few weeks after that how God took Ab Abram's name and changed it to Abraham. But what happens in this instance is you've got four characters who are, their name is not being changed by God. Their name is being changed by culture and the political powers around them. Now, this is really important because they have found their identity. Their identity is in God. They're good Jewish boys, and culture is about to try to give them a new identity. And look what happens. So he gave them these names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? But Daniel resolved that he would not 
defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor. Who gave Daniel favor? God. Let me one more time. Who gave Daniel favor? God. That's exactly right. So Daniel's saying, I am going to do what I know is right. There were all kinds of Jewish laws about not eating certain things. And Daniel and his three friends were like, you know, we can't eat this. This is not, this food is great. I mean, it's bacon, it's lobster, it's all the things that we love. Thank you, Jesus, for all of that. But before Jesus, the good Jews didn't, were not allowed to eat that stuff. And so, so here they are, and they're faced with this choice. What are they going to do? So Daniel prays, and God gives him favor. Look what he has. Gives him favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Do you believe that God is still in the business of honoring and showing favor to those who seek to live according to his plan? I believe that. And I believe that God still today can turn the heart of unjust, unfair, unrighteous leaders when we who are his people are willing, are willing to implement our faith and to, and to make sure that we live consistent with the way that God has called us to live. So what happens? So three years later, three years pass, and listen to this. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, meaning that they were allowed to remain a part of the king's court and the king's uh, leaders. And in every matter, listen to this now, this pagan king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, meaning he went from being a boy to being a very old man. And even though other kings came and went, other powers came in and took over, Daniel was the one consistent factor throughout. Why? Because Daniel was willing, Daniel was willing to stand for what he believed and to affect change wherever he could. He somehow navigated that, navigated that very difficult place of living in a foreign culture, a culture that can be even adversarial towards his belief, and staying faithful to God. And in, the, in that very small space, God blessed Daniel and he brought about change in his culture. Church, listen, if we want to be a people who, if we are a people who believe that God seeks to bring about kingdom change in the world around us, kingdom change in our city, kingdom change in our state, in our nation, kingdom change in the world, we have to pay attention to Daniel and how he did it. I, I think there have been lots of examples over the last few decades, especially in the last few years, uh, of how the church seeks to rise up and sort of how state its political power at the ballot box. And listen, I'm for voting. You should pray and you should vote the way the Holy Spirit leads you to vote. I'm not against that. But here's what I believe. I believe as Christians in the church today, we need to stop engaging and putting all our battles in the political realm and get back on our knees and seek God's favor. Because if we stand behind, if we stand firm by what God is calling us to be as his church, then I believe he will show favor to us and he will turn the hearts of powerful people in power and that we can affect positive change. Three things I think Christians have to do to affect change in our culture. First is be wise. Be wise. Colossians 4 5 says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
That means that we have to go into a situation with the wisdom of God to say, God, what would you have me do? How can I reflect your image? How can my identity be wrapped up in yours in this situation, whatever it is? See, Daniel and his friends worked hard and earned the respect of the community. Listen, we live in a post-Christian world today. For those of you who maybe have been in church for a long time, that may come as a surprise to you. But it's time that the church, that we, followers of Jesus, recognize we live in a post-Christian world. And you know what? For one, this may sound shocking to you. I'm glad we do. I'm glad we do. Because I think it's in a post-Christian world, just like it was in a pre-Christian world in the first century Rome, that we shine the brightest as we stand out against culture in so many ways. Not in an adversarial way, not in a hateful way, but in a way that shines the light and love of Jesus that's attractive to the people around us. We have to be wise. And we can't just say, well, that's what the Bible says. We have to be willing to earn the respect of our communities in order to, in order to be heard, in order to gain influence. Be wise. The second thing we have to do is be gentle and respectful. Let me say that again. Be gentle and respectful. I have been so discouraged over the last four and five years of the behavior of people who call themselves Jesus followers as they, as they are more interested in their political agendas than they are in the kingdom agenda. And it is not okay, it is not okay for people who call themselves Christians to somehow think that they can be unkind and disrespectful in order to gain political achievements. Because you may gain political achievements, but you are defaming the image of the God you claim to serve when you do it that way. We have to be gentle and respectful. This is the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel. Peter said this when he said, hey, anytime anybody asks you, when, when you are like Daniel, you're shining out above all the others. And anybody, anybody, anytime anyone asks you, hey, what is it about you? He's be prepared to give them an answer, but do it with gentleness and respect. Listen, if Christians do not demonstrate gentleness and respectfulness, who in this culture in this world is going to do it? We have to be wise and we have to be gentle and respectful. We live in a post-Christian world. People are going to think act, behave differently than we are. We still are called to love everyone always, even when we don't agree with them, even when they stand against us. Daniel did not win over his captor by, by, by fighting with him. He had to be gentle and respectful, and in doing so, he was able to, in, in, uh, to lead change into the Babylonian Empire. And the third thing we have to do is ask, seek, and knock. This is what Jesus said, to ask, seek, and knock. And, and Daniel wasn't afraid to ask for the exception. I'm wondering how many of us as Christians are willing to ask to be the exception, to, to, to influence change where we can by, by saying, hey, I, can I be the exception here? And don't say anyone's nose for them. I think as Christians, we often are willing to say, well, they're not going to let me do that. They're not going to let me say that. They're not going to let me. But the truth of the matter is many times we don't even ask. Daniel was brave enough to ask. Don't say people's nose for them and be persistent. Jesus told a story of a widow who was trying to seek relief from an unjust judge. And it, Jesus said he went, she went to his door and she started knocking. And she just kept knocking and she kept knocking and she kept knocking. And finally, the judge opened the door and gave her what she wanted. Because he was righteous and just? No. Because he wanted to shut her up. And sometimes as Christians, we have to be willing to ask, seek, and knock while being gentle and respectful and full of wisdom. But persistence. Be persistent. It's exactly what Daniel did, and he was able to affect change, and we're called to do the same. The second thing I think we have to do is to stand up 
whenever we must. Now, let me set this up for you because this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many of you have heard it before. Uh, there, were, there, were, there was going to be a law made that basically said anytime music is played, everybody has to bow down and worship this image to, the king, to king Nebuchadnezzar. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being good Jews, couldn't do that. And they were faced with the situation, do we just go along to get along, or do we stand up for what we believe? Listen to what happens in Daniel chapter 3. Um, this, is, uh, this passage starts in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, tigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And they're standing up to the king. And they're like, king, may you live forever. But we cannot do this. We are, on, we are called to worship the Lord our God and the Lord only. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just asking them to worship Babylonian gods instead of Jehovah. He was asking them to worship God, their Babylonian gods, in addition to Jehovah. We live in a very pluralistic society and culture, and I think in many ways that's good. I think in many ways uh, God is bringing the nations and cultures to us. But, but the question is, are, are we influencing change and sharing the message of the gospel and light, or are we being changed? We have to be willing, church, to stand up for what we believe. And that core belief is the gospel. That core belief is who Jesus is and what he came to do. We have to be willing to stand up and to proclaim that gospel. You can worship your God in private, these guys were told. Shadrach, Meshach, hey, you can worship your God in private all you want, but in public, you must bow down to the Babylonian gods. Listen, all pluralistic cultures apply the same pressure on people. You can do whatever you want in private, but in public, you must be like everyone else. And we as the church have to stand up and say, we can only be who we are in Christ. That's who we are. This is who we are. The world tries to assimilate you into public culture by making you privatize your faith. And, and this, is, this is nothing new. This has gone on all the way back to the book of Daniel. But it is always God's people who are willing to stand for what they believe in the midst of the trials. We have to be willing to make sure that we are standing up for what is right. Isaiah said um, when he was recognizing these same things going on, he was writing this in Isaiah 7 too. He said, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, let me just ask you, how firm are you standing in your faith? Because according to Isaiah, if you don't stand firm, you're not going to stand at all. Because the tidal wave of culture will wash over you and wash you out to sea. And I wonder if we have the faith, if I have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand firm knowing that God will deliver me, but even if he doesn't, this is still the right thing to do. And finally, Daniel and his friends trusted God in everything. So Daniel was getting older. His, uh, his popularity was growing, 
And the other leaders in the nation were jealous. And uh, basically, they got together and decided that they would ask the king to pass a law which would intentionally put Daniel at odds with the king. Listen to what happened. Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and counselors and the governors, all agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So this is pretty tricky. This is a pretty slick move on the part of Daniel's, uh, Daniel's enemies. There's, uh, gonna, we're going to take him out because we know he's a man of character. We know he's a man of integrity. We know that he stands up for what he believes. We know he's seeking to affect change in the culture. We don't like it. So if we, if we get the king to go with us on this, then he will, surely, uh, he will surely not do it, and that means he'll either be killed or he will be out of power. When Daniel knew that the documents had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Notice something about this. Daniel didn't just say, you know what? I'm just going to close my curtains now. Why? He didn't, he, he didn't just say, I'm going to close my curtains now. Because he had never done that before. He had always prayed in that same window facing Jerusalem three times a day, always before. He wasn't going to give them the satisfaction of driving him back into a private faith. He was going to do and be everything he had always been and done, and he was going to trust God with the outcome, just like he had done when he asked to to not eat the king's food, just like Shadrach and Meshach had done when they refused to bow down to the idol and were thrown into the furnace. See, it takes faith in God in these situations. Daniel refused. Then what happened after that? Daniel's brought before the king. The king sees the trap, but he can't go back on his word. So then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Do you get what's happening? All of a sudden, the king of Babylon is now praying that Daniel's God will save him. Why? Well, because Daniel was valuable to the king. He had proven himself valuable to the kingdom. He had made a difference in culture. He had made a difference in society. The king saw this is a better place because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of it. And these guys have tricked me into into putting you in the lion's den, but I am praying for you, Dan. I am praying that God will deliver you out of this trap because the king knew what all the other officials didn't know, that this kingdom was better Because there were people who were reflecting the image and the reputation of God in the midst of their darkness. What happened? Well, you know the story. God came in and shut the mouths of the lions. And Daniel survived. And listen to this. This is so incredible. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now, get this. This is a king. This is a kingdom that had conquered, raped, pillaged, destroyed, carried people into captivity. And what is he saying? He's writing this message to everywhere he has been, and he is saying, peace be multiplied to you. Something is changing. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now, I think Probably this was a misguided edict in the fact that you, you can't force people to worship God. But, he, but do you see the movement? Do you see what's happened? This polytheistic country and Daniel and his friends' persistent, wise 
gentle, respectful uh, forces on culture led to significant change. We have to, church, we have to do this today. We have to make change where we can. We have to stand up when we must. We may have to trust God with everything. Even when it looks like the outcome could be bad, we trust God that we are standing on His principles. We are seeking to reflect His values, His kingdom values into the world. This is exactly what Jesus did. You see, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, one of the things that the scripture says is that there was a fourth figure in the fire. And Jewish scholars for ages have debated who that is, but as Christians, we know exactly who it is. It's the one who stands in the fire with us when we face these kind of trials, when we face these kind of difficulties. Does it mean that he's always going to deliver you out of it? No. No, but the truth is that this same Savior was willing himself to do this for the world. He was willing himself to make changes where he could. He he entered into time and space. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He taught people. He raised the dead. He he stood up when he knew he needed to against the corruption of of a corrupt religious system, against the political powers that were seeking to oppress and, be, and, and offer in nothing but injustice. He stood up against the Pharisees. He stood up against the power of sin. And he trusted God in everything. That even at the end of his life, when he said, Lord, let this cup of the cross pass from me. But if not, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who comes into culture, perfectly reflecting the Father, and forever changing it from the inside out. It's exactly the picture we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's exactly what Jesus is calling his church to be and to do today. How about you? How about us? Where can we make a difference right now? Where has God positioned you right now that you can make a change? You can make a change by by doing your best to stand out, by, by, by providing wisdom, by being gentle and respectful, and by being persistent. Where do you need to stand up for justice, for righteousness, for mercy, for peace? How can you increase your faith in God in order so that you will be able to stand when the trials and the temptations and the pressures of culture come your way? God's purpose in allowing us, listen to me, God allowed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be carried into captivity. God allowed Jesus to be arrested and crucified. God allowed this kind of thing to happen. He still allows it to happen today all around the world. Why does he do it? Because God has a plan. See, the king of Babylon had no idea that when he carried those four people off, it was like God was planting in the middle of the empire a force that would change the empire from the inside out. It's exactly what God is doing with his church today. As he implants us in the middle of a post-Christian culture, it is is almost as if from the inside out we can affect change. We don't stand and curse the darkness. We light a candle and we go into it. Listen to what Jeremiah said, a prophet. He was writing to all these exiles who had been carried off into Babylon. Some of them were constantly, they didn't want anything to do with culture. They were just going to stand, they were going to protest. They were going to stay on the outside of the city. And meanwhile, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the heart of it, changing it from the inside out. And listen to what Jeremiah wrote to those people sitting on the outside and not willing to just submit to God by entering into culture to change it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. Listen, church, we have to live as exiles. We have to understand and recognize we are exiles living in a post-Christian culture. We have to understand that we are kingdom people before we're any other kind of people. 
We are kingdom people before we're Americans, certainly before we're Democrats and Republicans. We are kingdom people before we are black, white, Asian, Hispanic. We are kingdom people. It is the gospel that binds us together. And we live as exiles because that is different than the world all around us. It's different when you come to a church and there are Democrats and Republicans who have good-hearted debates, but ultimately they both love Jesus, right? It's different when you get people together and they come from different languages and backgrounds and cultures, but somehow they rally around Jesus and their cultural distinctions fall away because in Jesus we are united and made one. It's different, right? That's not the way the world talks about us right now. That's not the way the world talks about the cultures inside of America right now. We have to recognize we are aliens and strangers, just like these people. He says, listen, I'm writing to all of the exiles whom I have sent. This is God saying, I have sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons for your daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Listen, we are called, church, not to run away Not to go hide in gated subdivisions where everybody looks like you and thinks like you and spends money that you have, the same kind of money you have. We are called to come into the darkness, into the heart of culture, and begin to change it from the inside out. This is why we aspire to be a church that is for Christ first and foremost. It is his image and reputation that we are concerned with. We we aspire to be a church that's for Christ in all things. We aspire to be a church that is for the city, not against it. And when I say city, I just don't mean city. I mean, we want to be a place that is for our community. They don't think like we think. They don't act like we act. They don't believe what we believe. But you know what? We are called to love everyone always. And through the power and the gospel, through the power of Jesus' love, we can see change around us. And we're to do it for good. We're called to do it for good. I want to be a part of that kind of movement. I want, to, I want the reputation of Jesus to show shine in my life and in my family and in my church that God has allowed me to be a part of here. I want us to shine forth the love of Jesus the way Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it may take our whole lives. Some of us may never live to see it. But there will be a day when you look back and you realize it was people with the heart and spirit of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But more than them, forget those names. It was people who had the heart of Jesus that changed this city, that brought light into the darkness, and that, that glorified, exemplified, and projected the reputation and the glories of Jesus from this city to the ends of the earth. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. And as you pray, I would just... Um, ask you to think about these questions. First of all, just ask the Holy Spirit, where in your world, work, school, family, where in your world would he have you to affect change right now? Holy Spirit, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm asking that you would speak to your church today. As we get ready to spread out across the city and maybe even across the country and around the world, Father, would you open our eyes to see the world as you see it? 
to know where we can step in and with wisdom, gentleness, respect, and persistence see change. Church, right now I'd like you to ask the Holy Spirit to ask you where you need to stand up. Where is there a place where you are compromising your values, the, the values of the gospel? Where is the place right now that you are compromising? Ask the Holy Spirit to show that to you and to, re, to give you the faith to stand up in the midst of the pressure that you feel to conform. Holy Spirit, again, I pray that you will speak to your church. Lord, for the students who are here, for those who are trying to build careers, for those who may be involved with politics, for those who are just faced with the choices each and every day to make compromises, just to go along, to get along. God, would you, would you just convict all of us by your spirit, God, to know where we need to stand up? And finally, God, would you give us faith? Would you increase our faith as we face these difficulties, but not just as we face them, but as we endure them, God, would you grow our faith? Would you help us to stand firm in our faith? And Father, may, may like Jesus, may your light shine through us, even if it costs, even if it's painful. God, would you help us to love that severely? Would you help us to love that persistently? Father, may we be a church that is for Jesus, that is for the city, and that is for good, that the good news of the gospel might be heard and known. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Like what you just heard? Take a moment and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search SSBC Jacks. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you on Wednesdays or Sundays. You can find out about our service times, next-gen programming, and more at ssbc.org.